sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Friday, July the 10th, 2020. Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia, back with you here on the show. We got Brett Levy, of course, producing for us. Coming up a little bit later in the program, we dive into NASCAR with Matt Sells. Big race going on in Kentucky over the weekend. Gray Albright will join us a little bit later in the show. Bob Harris with some fantasy football news and notes. Joe, you ready for another big weekend? What's going on? I am, man. I got some great news today on the sports documentary front. They're doing a several-part documentary series on my 86 Mets. The last time I was really, truly happy as a baseball fan at eight years old. So I that know. is exciting. My favorite book was How the Bad Guys Won by Jeff Perlman. That is one of the great sports books ever. I encourage you, summer reading folks, to go out there. Even if you hate the 86 Mets, it's a fantastic book. It's really interesting. But I love how this team continues to have this weird life of its own because it was such a spectacle. It was such a rock star crazy thing that went on there and the way they won and, and everything around that was just entertaining. So... I am ready for this. I don't know if there's any more stories that I can know that I don't know, or maybe they're going to make up a few, but I'm very excited. It's not going to be the 10-part Michael Jordan thing, but even if I get two or three parts on the 86 Mets, man, that's some good news going into the weekend, Craig. I'm excited about that. All right, so uh, there is good news there. And, and hey. news in the NBA, we got Jamal Crawford getting ready to play. He's coming back. Michael Beasley's got a chance to play. I mean, who would have thought that? So all positive with that. We got baseball news as well to get to a little bit later in the show. But a oh, massive Oh, I knew, I knew this was, I could tell them the big deep breath with the butt was coming. A massive change for our buddy John Lobb and all college football fans and all college fantasy football fans for the 2020 season. Because yesterday the announcement was made by the Big Ten and a lot of other conferences are following suit, as you would imagine, because you can't play. If you're, if you're not going to have out-of-conference games, every, every school has to not play against the other teams at the conference. So... We're looking at a shortened college football season, Joe. We are yeah. looking um, at a college football season that may only be a half a dozen games. Um, only conference games going to be slated this fall in the Big Ten and uh, and some others. They're looking at delaying the college football season into September. And certainly, me being a huge college football fan, this mm -hmm. is a little bit of a bummer. Now, I'm hopeful that this short season still will end up happening right. but you know i am i am a little bit concerned at this point that no football will be end up playing but uh you know certainly we'll we'll have to see it's difficult it's difficult to justify student athletes going out there if there's any high risk and that and that's what it all comes down to professional athletes is different they're they're getting paid they're getting compensated you know you can make all the jokes you want about guys making money in college that you want here you can insert that little line but at the end of the day, they're student athletes, and this is what they should be taken care of. I mean, the school needs to put them in their health and a priority first. And I'm sure you would take six games as opposed to zero games. So if this gives them a better shot to play any yes. college football, then we want to have them play any college football. We want to have bowl games in January, and that that's what we want to do. We want to, like, on New Year's Day, we want bowl games. We want college football. You want to have a national championship game. So if if monitoring it this way, trying to get – six, eight games, whatever it ends up being, however they end up working it out, that's okay by me. I know it's a bummer, but we all have to deal with some disappointment this year. I feel like we all have to figure that out. We went from 162 baseball games to 60 baseball games. If we go from X number of college football games to six, whatever we end up whittling it down to, let's get some semblance of a season. Let's not have it be a complete waste for everybody. And I'm sure from the NFL perspective too, it's going to make it harder to evaluate these players in next year's draft. I mean, I don't know what the repercussions of that are in your mind, but I imagine it's much tougher to get a smaller sample size of some guys he had questions it's, about. It's, if this ended up playing out this way, it's it would not be catastrophic because, uh, remember, the first, usually, not for Alabama and some of the other bigger schools in Clemson, mm -hmm. but for the first couple of games, you're, you and usually during homecoming, there are right. always going to be a game or two that could potentially be cupcake games where you're paying right. the school to come in. Exactly. And that's changed through the years. The 55 to 10 scores, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but again, usually there's one or two good out-of-conference games, but you're going down now to, I think, the maximum any school could play would be eight games. 
And as you mentioned, the bowl games are not usually a great indicator for, uh, unless it's a competitive game uh, for for the future. But uh, it's it. Look, listen. With what they've announced, if you said to me, "Will you take it?" and is it enough? Of course, the answer is. But I just feel like in all sports, delaying you're just delaying the inevitable. And and I'm hopeful that that isn't the case with this. I'm hopeful we're not hearing about a 12 game season in the NFL coming soon too. And nothing would have shocked me there either. So we're going to you know, have to kind of play this by ear at this point and hope for the best. But certainly I enjoy the very beginning of college football season because it mm-hmm. gives me an opportunity, even from a betting perspective, to take a look at some of the players who could become key factors. College football players come out of nowhere to be great. Yeah. We see it, we've seen it in the Heisman the last two years. I was so, say, how about Joe Burrow? <laughs> how about Tyler Murray, who was a yeah. baseball player two years ago? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know, that, that's kind of what the beginning of the season is for. And, um, you know, and, and fantasy at this point, I think it, it, all of it's survivable with what they've given us. But I don't know that this will even be played out. So we'll have to uh, see with that. Also, the ACC uh, decided all fall sports uh, are not going to start until September. So that gives them a couple of months there. Uh, a couple of other uh, quick news and notes. Um, really interesting commentary uh, coming from Julian Edelman, who posted on Instagram uh, yesterday a very thoughtful uh, conversation, um, you know, in terms of this uh, comment that Deshaun Jackson made is anti-Semitic comments, mm-hmm. and he's invited Deshaun Jackson to the Holocaust Museum. Um, if I was Deshaun Jackson at this point, and certainly I can't pretend to give advice to somebody in his position, I would invite him to take Julian Edelman up on this to get a better understanding as to what's going on. But uh, Edelman, I thought, was really thoughtful. He didn't really mm-hmm. come down uh, very hard on him. He just he basically said, hey, look, there needs to be some education here. Right. And hopefully that is the case. I know that there are some people that are on the other side of it that are saying, basically, it doesn't matter if you're two years old or 22 years old or 52, you should know your scenario. And some some commenters have made some really good points on that, too. You can go to Google and see who anybody is <laughs> before you decide to do anything. And, and, and he should have done that. Uh, but um, I was happy to see that post from Julian Edelman. It was very thoughtful. Me too. And Edelman's a guy that kind of came to his uh, religion a little later. And that's uh, sure. one of those pieces that you see in that. Uh, that's another really good uh, little, I think it's called 100% or something like that. The one about Julian Edelman and the rehab. And you kind of get to know Edelman a little bit back. And he's a fascinating character, man. He really is a very likable guy. I'm a big Edelman fan. Uh, and I think this is a great job by him. And uh, I will advise Deshaun Jackson. I'm, I'm Go. Go. It's a good thing for you to go because it shows that you are someone that can be educated. You are someone who could be contrite when you do something wrong or you say something stupid. And everyone said something stupid. The level of stupid that this is, is a very high level. Very you high. set the bar very high here. So now that you set the bar so high, you should be grateful that somebody like Julian Edelman stuck his neck out and said, hey, why don't you come with me, do this, experience this, and then that will change your perspective and you'll understand why it was so wrong. Because it's not enough to say that was stupid to somebody who says something stupid. Sometimes you have to educate them on why it was stupid. And if he's willing to be educated on it, then I think it goes a long way for the ownership, for the people in Philadelphia, the fans. And, and just, uh, again, uh, just as a whole, this nation, when you look at someone says something so inconsiderate as that, it's a good move to go do that. Not from a PR standpoint, just from a human standpoint. So some yeah. people, even if he does go, will chalk it up to say, eh, it's PR stunt, nonsense, whatever. I've been there. I, I, I don't know if you have. It is an incredibly... I have not moving, been there. is incredibly moving place. Um, I am not of Jewish ascent. I'm about as Italian as it comes. But I can tell you this. It was one of those things where I got emotional and, and you know, kind of lost it there. It, it is in there is an inherent sadness and a heaviness to it. And it's very difficult to describe. I imagine it's very similar to when you go to the 9-11 memorial, things like that. You just feel the presence of something and you go in, you hear the stories and and. When you listen to the stories and you see them, it becomes very personal all of a sudden. And you know about this individual, that individual, and it is really incredible and moving. And then you hear some of the stories of heroism within those concentration camps, within what's going on at that time. And uh, it's a it's a place you never forget. It's not a place you want to go to twice, <laughs> but it's a place that I think everybody should get a chance yeah. to go to. And uh, I, I think if you ever get a chance in that area to go – I highly recommend it. It is an experience worth having, and it's experience that John Jackson should go have. And good on Julian Edelman. Like good on somebody else saying, "Hey, you know, before we go crazy here, why don't you why don't you do better? Let's all try to do better. Let's stop canceling each other every time someone does something stupid, regardless of how high that bar is set." Deshaun, you set it real high. 
let's do something. Let's let's yeah. let's come together a little bit. So good job by Edelman there. All right. So um, so do, here's the question. So we made a bet. We made a bet before Uh-oh. the season on uh-huh. Raheem Mostert leading the league in rushing. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so obviously, well, I tried to make a bet. You you dodged it. But yeah, go ahead. Obvious. No, no, no. We made a bet. Mm-hmm. So whatever his odds are to win the rushing title is our bet. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be, but whenever it comes out, whatever his odds are, I'm betting a hundred. You're paying me when he wins the rushing title. <laughs> but obviously, that took a big hit yesterday with him uh, demanding a trade. Now, before we finalize this, there's one thing that it's seventeen to one. Brett says, okay. But we, we have to finalize this is with one understanding. Obviously, the guy has to play this year. Like, I have to be clear on that. <laughs> that, that helps. Last time I checked, that if does he doesn't help. play, the bet is off. But if he plays even one game, I'm in. I'm in on the bet. But if he sits out the whole year, obviously, Vegas would ne- or FanDuel would never uh, take a bet that you'd get your money back if the guy didn't play. So I just want to be clear on that, just for everybody who's watching. Fair. If Raheem Mostert plays one game next year, I lose the bet. That's that's fair. I mean, look, it doesn't knock in Raheem Mostert all these. I I love the Raheem Mostert story. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, he really pissed me off yesterday because why oh, did do all this? I'm ready. To, I'm ready to watch him win the rushing title and then boom. <laughs> but how can it piss you off? This is look, Raheem Mostert. Five teams in five years, okay? So you're telling me that five different and some of them pretty quality organizations like the Ravens pass on a guy. All of a sudden, he becomes something in the Shanahan offense for a short period of time. It was a great story, but this is his opportunity to get paid. And if I'm Raheem Mostert, I've already seen the – look, as somebody who's been let go from several organizations in this industry, I can tell you, when you have your opportunity, it's probably a good thing to go shoot it, man. Go take know, that shot. I know, but holding out is not, is not the call with this guy. Well, no. he wants to be traded, so you know what? Here's the thing. Do They're you not going to trade him. They traded Breed already. Well, here's the thing. Do you, right, they did trade Breed already. So you're kind of in a rock and a hard place. Do and you feel not good Coleman. with Tevin Coleman? No, they're not going to do that. Do you feel it's good enough with One way or the other, Wilson? I think it's going to be him. But well, if he decides well, who's to hold out. Jeffrey Wilson's left. You could dust off Jared McKinnon. Yeah, Jeffrey Wilson's oh, McKinnon. still there. What happened to him? He's still there too, believe no, it or not. No. He's still on the roster. It's mind-blowing. That's why they got rid of Brita. They're like, well, we still got Jared McKinnon. We're paying him. So, they still have Rathman? No, but at this point, they might get Roger Craig Harrison back. Harrison Hurst? <laughs> like, they might have to go back and go back to the William to the Floyd? Field. Maybe Ricky Waters can come out. But I could really use Ricky Waters in that offense. He'd be terrific. But look, man, look. The dude wants to get paid. I don't blame him. This is his window to get paid. They should pay him if he is going to be that guy. And if they don't want to pay him, then that tells you what they think really deep down of Raheem Mostert. Yeah, we'll Just keep see. that in mind. I was, I was bummed out about That's that. That's all right. It's all, all right. right. We'll uh, be right back with this day in fantasy sports history and our fantasy sports birthdays as we're off and running here on Sports Grid on this Friday. So don't go away. Joe and I will be right back in just two minutes. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Friday, everybody. July 10th, 2020. It's time for this day in fantasy sports history and our fantasy sports birthdays. Really solid group of birthdays today in the sports world. And uh, and I I think some interesting days in sports as well on this July 10th, Joe. How are you feeling about it? I feel good. You know, it's always just fun to do this segment with you. I know by this stage of the week, you're a big, big old ball of sunshine and you're really, you know... (laughs) feeling good about things uh but yeah it's it's look i like going back in history i'm a history nerd so this is always fun for me when we look back in certain sports and certain events that have happened and some of which i've never even known about so i've learned things hopefully our viewers have learned a few things as well so uh, i think it's really good plus we get to wish everyone a happy birthday except for oj simpson no birthdays for him yesterday yeah everybody else got one not him but that's okay all right, so here we go. This day in fantasy sports history for the 10th, and we got 1934. We're going way back on this one. Second Major League Baseball All-Star game of all time. The American League wins 9-7 to at the Polo Grounds. People forget that that's where the New York Giants played, at the Polo Grounds. And, you know, it's one of those things, Joe, it's interesting because uh, my, my family grew up in, in New York, uh, mm-hmm. in the Brooklyn area. 
Right. And my dad used to go to games, and my father-in-law used to go to games. But they they don't talk about going to the polo grounds all that often. They talk about going to Brooklyn. Right. Going going to those games at Ebbets Field. They talk about going to Yankee Stadium. Uh, but not so much the polo grounds, and I wonder why that is. I've never really. Well, I mean, if you were a Brooklyn person, you, it was closer and easier to just go, you know, right down there to Ebbets Field. I mean, that that was kind of the the holy ground for Brooklyn Dodger fans. I'm not exactly sure what the base of Giant fans were, but I know my grandfather told an amazing story once. He went to a ball game, and uh, it was a Giants game at the polo grounds, and they were getting, you know, blown out or whatever it was, and he said, eh you know what, I'm going to leave. It was the seventh inning, whatever it was. And he was trying to go pull out, but he couldn't pull out because somebody had double parked him in, right? Mm. So he figured, ah, whatever, I'll just turn on the game and I'll just listen to the game on the radio. And eventually, you know, people will filter out and somebody will, you know, eventually go. The game went 21 innings. Wow. <laughs> he was stuck out there. What a nightmare. And he, and he couldn't get back into the ballpark. And I remember him telling me a story and I just sat there. He's like, I couldn't do anything else. Just listen to the ball game on the radio for the nine and a half innings or whatever it was. But uh, that that was my favorite of all the polo ground stories I ever heard for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I have a, like a, not the same story, but like a similar one. Um, so the, the All-Star game was in New York City in 2013, but I was, uh, went to that one. But uh, 2008 was the time before that. It was the last All-Star game at the old Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. And if you remember, yes, the Home Run Derby was phenomenal. I went to that. That was but the Hamilton, the, right? Was but, it? Yes, but the yeah. game itself, if I'm not mistaken, went multiple extra innings. And I believe yeah. I left in the 10th or something like that. And I remember uh, taking, and I don't live in New York, remember, I'm staying at somebody's house. So I remember taking the subway, and it was like, it took me like 30, 40 minutes to get back. I get inside, and the game was still going on. And I'm like, wow, like this is the longest All-Star game of all I think it was the longest All-Star game of all time. I have to go back and Were you staying at Lenny Melnick's house? Did he put out a nice sleeping bag and nice bread for you, or what? This was pre-Lenny Melnick. Pre? I didn't know there was such a thing. 2008? <laughs> Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess 2008. Yeah, I guess so. I, I just assume you guys have been, you know. <laughs> no, so, no, only since we, we started working together. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, shout out to Lenny, too. I, I, to hope, Lenny. He, I hope he gets a baseball hope season. He, I hope he took two steps today. All right, uh, 1976, Johnny Miller, great golf broadcaster. Uh, also, people forget what a great golfer he was, but this was his only British Open championship. We're getting into British Open territory here in July. Uh, 1997, I'll never forget this moment. I always will remember Hideki Arabu's first Major League Baseball start. Uh, he started for the Yankees in 1997, and before there was Domo, and before there was Darvish, and before there was Dice K, uh, I mean, Arabu was the guy. And at the time, there's nowhere to watch these games on TV. I was living in Sarasota, Florida. And I remember going to a bar to watch it on closed-circuit television because... Uh, before the year started, I drafted Hideki Arabu on my fantasy team, and it and it and he was on the Padres, if I'm not mistaken, at the time, or like he had signed with the Padres, but he didn't want to play for them, so he ended right. up playing for the Yankees. Right. And I was playing fantasy baseball in '97, and I was so pumped up watching Arabu pitch. And by the way, he was really good in his first start, <laughs> but. Uh, it didn't didn't exactly work out too well. Well, Nomo was ninety five because I was curious when you threw Nomo up. Oh, like, okay. So it was I Nomo, thought Nomo was before. So Nomo Robert was only was two right years. Okay. But you're right. There was that weird Padres thing that went on ahead of time, and then all that stuff. And I remember obviously being in New York at that time too. Like just it was the, there was a big hype machine around this whole Arabu thing, and they were showing pictures of him and Babe Ruth together because they thought he kind of looked like Babe Ruth. It's a kind of weird thing. And then I remember a couple bad starts and George Steinbrenner in the papers. Calling him what? Do you recall? Yeah, fat toad. A fat pussy toad. A fat pussy toad. That's that's a lot. Could you imagine an owner calling a player that right it, now? It only is. And, only and in his, the 90s. And, and his story, I think they've done some sort of documentary on him, but that truly would be a two-hour documentary. Because well, what what is the story with him? I'm curious because I, I don't know much about him. depression and, and he passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. I did yeah. not know that. I did. Yeah. Was it a suicide? Or just a, I think it was a substance abuse issue. Wow, I didn't I didn't know that about Arabu. You know that. Yeah, he never recovered from any of that. Uh, that. That's you know what people don't understand what kind of you know especially the Japanese players who came over early on. There was an enormous amount of pressure on those guys Ichiro, Nomo, Arabu, and I don't think people really understood. You know, there's those weight of a nation to prove and and not only prove like you know, it was a proof of Japanese baseball is 
competitive with Major League Baseball. And I and I think these guys put a lot on them. Ichiro obviously handled it really well. Fortunately, Arabu did not. But, man, I, I wonder too much of it, too. Do you think a lot of it had to do with playing in New York versus a guy playing in Seattle? I mean, you know? he had so much attention on him. It's only natural to think that way, and it's fair. But, yeah, he passed away 2017. Oh, I did not know that. That's, yeah. That is a – you know what? There's – you know, we talk about, like – stories and sports that need to be told that's one that needs to be told i agree I, I would like to see that one sign me up for that one for sure yeah. i'm trying to get you to watch the holiday documentary too you haven't seen that yet still yeah, it I, is no i know wow yeah. my goodness was that eye-opening all right 2016 andy murray wins his second wimbledon title he's always been very good there in his home country for sure so uh andy murray will close that out with this day in fantasy sports history how about birthdays let's hit july the 10th 1943 although he has passed Away, Arthur Ashe was born in 1943. Want to make sure we get him in there today. Uh, the Hawk, my good buddy, Andre Dawson, 1954, one of the great players of our generation, and especially in the 1980s. Uh, there's two Roger Craigs, of course. The 1960 Roger Craig is the running back for the San Francisco 49ers, who was such a big part of a lot of those teams that uh, won championships, but unfortunately the one guy that didn't get in the Hall of Fame. 1964, Urban Meyer, uh, Championship-winning coach with the Florida Gators, Ohio State Buckeyes. And then 1988, I wonder what Antonio Brown is doing for his birthday today. I, well, I we probably did, don't want to know. What I think, well, I mean, I think you could hear it because I know he, like, basically lives down the street from you. So Very I think close. maybe you drive by the house tonight at some point and see, you know, just what's going on at the A.B. house, you know? Who knows? Could be a music video being filmed. Uh, could be a feature film. Could be uh, him running sprints in the law. Anything is possible at Antonio Brown's house. It's a it's a fun place from what I can see. Uh, and you're Roger Craig not in the Hall of Fame. That one kind of that stings a little, man, because I don't know if it's one of those things where you look back and you remember things more fondly as a child. But I remember Roger Craig being incredibly important to those 49er teams and their success there in the 80s. Uh, so that's kind of surprising to me uh, that he is not in the Hall of Fame when you look at the rest of them, especially because. Back then, you know, those running backs took such a different pounding than they do today. And I think it's very difficult to last for any period of time back in those days where guys could basically hit you however they wanted. Not so much the case nowadays. Uh, Andre Dawson, one of the few guys to win an MVP for a last place Cubs team. Uh, we all know that story, too. Also uh, was one of the unfortunate guys that went out in a free agency and wasn't able to get a contract after having basically a Hall of Fame kind of resume. Had to settle for uh, a deal with the Cubs, but that was the beginning of that whole collusion mess yeah. in Major League Baseball. But Andre Dawson, I always remember quite fondly. And then I remember later on the knees kind of giving out and him not being the same player. But when I think about intimidating pieces in a lineup, I think about Andre Dawson. He was that guy with the big, you know, long mustache who come up to the plate there. And you just felt like, oh, I got to handle this because if I don't, man, things are going to go bad. And there was something about the presence of that player. And not every great player has that. But I felt like Andre Dawson Craig had that in so many ways. Like you just had to know exactly where he was in the lineup. And you knew that there was an intimidation factor when he stepped into that batter's box. For sure. And uh, lives in South Florida to this day. And. Uh, runs a mortuary. I think I've mentioned that before. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's a good business. Uh, and, and with Urban Meyer, it's like kind of weird with Urban Meyer. It's you're not really sure how to feel about him if you are uh, a Florida Gators fan, because uh, this guy brought the Gators so much joy. He did. And two championships and then just decided one year he was done and didn't want to do it anymore because of health reasons, mm -hmm. only to come back two years later and take over for Ohio State. So it's like, I think we'll look back many years from now and, and and relish in the time that Urban Meyer was there. But if you are a fan of the Gators and you're a fan of the University of Florida, uh, Steve Spurrier is going to come first before Urban Meyer, even though Steve Spurrier mm. only won uh, one championship just because of the you know different kind of personality. Did Spurrier play there, too? I can't remember. I know he played in this. He won the Heisman Trophy. He won the Heisman Trophy there, yeah. So I, was, so I think that, that certainly enters into it, right? When you're talking about the lore of a guy in a university, if he played there, then coached there as a he's national just a champion. a fun guy, just yeah. always throwing the ball and didn't care about anything else and, you know, transcended the way that, you know, the, the spread option. This is like what Spurrier started, just putting a lot of guys on the outside, throwing the ball. I mean, that was basically it, you know, so. Yeah, and I remember when he got hired that they, in the NFL, they thought that they would translate and didn't happen. It did in the preseason. <laughs> in the preseason for a while. It was 4-0. It did, and that tells you everything you need to know about the preseason, right? <laughs> Let's not yeah, put too much. They went four and zero. They couldn't be stopped, and then that was it. I, I think I've told this story many times here on the show, and 
I'll tell it one more time. Uh, the Gators, uh, after he won the championship, the following year they did not get to the championship, and uh, they came here to South Florida to play in the Orange Bowl. And uh, you know, I was graduated at that time, so I remember interviewing him and you know, Coach. Good to see you, Craig. What's going on? Not much, Coach. First question I got to ask: Are you going to go to the NFL? This is before the Redskins even. Craig, I got a beautiful house. Just built it in Gainesville. I got no interest in going anywhere except in Gainesville. Next day, took the job with the Redskins. <laughs> That is a good story. I haven't heard that one actually. Yeah, took the job so, with the Redskins. See, all your stories are new to me here. You think you think it burned them all already with Joe Ranieri, but now it's even. I've either. talked to him since then. It's cool. I remind him of it though. Like, I mean, <laughs> like I was like, come on, you had to know that. Of course he knew. He couldn't tell on. you, but that sounds like a good excuse. And I could I could hear him saying it in the voice the way you did it too, because that's very spurrier. Like coaches inherently, with all due respect, <laughs> are liars. Nick Saban, I'm not going to be the next coach at Alabama, took the job the next day. Butch Davis at the airport, flying to Cleveland. Uh, Why are you going Davis. to Cleveland? I don't know. I'm just going I don't to... know. I like the weather. <laughs> they lie. They lie. And I get it. Look, I understand. You. Look, you got a lot of kids that commit, and then, you know, you leave. You leave kids it's behind. It's a tough spot because you leave. You recruit those kids, and then you're not there. And, and then you bail the next day. And then you bail. It's tough. Just ask All right. Uh, coming up next, time to dive into the latest in baseball and in fantasy baseball. A couple of players may not be ready for the season. And actually, some good news. Some players will be, too. So we'll cover all that next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go anywhere. Back in two minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we creep closer to opening day, two weeks from Thursday, and of course the entire league will play on Friday. There's one day game and the rest of the games are night games. And I think as some managers are putting it right now, it's kind of go time. Um, You know, two weeks to go now to the season. Uh, Anybody who's not on a field, if you are planning on doing some sort of fantasy draft this year, I think it's time to start really paying attention to it. Uh, This weekend in particular, because time is running out. Um, So we're going to run through some players who are not around, some players who are coming back, some potential opportunities for some others, and how they could potentially affect season win totals, fantasy, and things of that nature. We're focusing today on the Pirates and the Tigers, and then a little bit on the uh, Baltimore Orioles. So uh, we'll start off with the Pirates. This is a player, the first player that I have on fantasy teams that I'm going to get by here. This This is one that I definitely have. Uh, Keona Kella uh, not working out yet for the Pirates. Why? Because we don't know. I mean, that's just the deal. We have no <laughs> idea, but he's not. And so, uh, you know, look, the Pirates at 60 games, are they going to win 30? Probably not. Are they yeah. going to save 15? Probably not. But saves are a category in fantasy, so we hit on it. Now, uh, Kella was really good last year. We haven't really seen him close Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure if he can do it, but he definitely has the skill set for it. I personally was very high on him going into the year because even though he's a horrible dude, he's still a closer, and sometimes horrible dudes make good closers. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give him that <laughs> You shot. know what? Yeah, that, that, is, that is a truth. That should be on a T-shirt, man. That, that's actually some Zen stuff you just threw out there. It's kind of I, I was weird. very in on this guy. You think about some of the closers, some of the bad dudes. Yeah, what is it about? What is it about that bad dude mentality? It makes you good. Yeah, to they like, have to have it for it. So. You know, just I guess you could just shrug off, you know, things not going your way. I guess I don't know. I don't know, but I wanted all of this guy in every league. I know you did. I saw he was the top fifteen guy for me, but. Um, look, I, I got Kyle Crick's name here. Maybe you got someone else. I don't know. But but Crick's strikeout level is high, 61 strikeouts in 49 innings. If you've eaten uh, lunch today or breakfast this morning, don't go to their depth chart because you're not going to feel well and you're going to throw up all over yourself after seeing the, the Pirates bullpen. This is not a year that the Pirates want to play. They are about to go through what Kansas City did what Miami did, what Detroit is going through, and Baltimore. The Pirates are about to take a long walk goodbye from baseball for a while. Um, and I don't think they'll get many saves, Joe, so I can't even find a backup here in case Akella's not there. But I got Crick. I don't mm-hmm. know. No, I, I think Crick is definitely the guy. Once upon a time, Kyle Crick was 
San Francisco giant uh, big-time prospect all not that long ago. But uh, as Craig pointed out very astutely to me once years ago on a show, if these guys were any good, they'd still be starting pitchers. That's they wouldn't exactly be relievers. Right. And uh, you know what? That was another uh, Craig. Lots of truth bombs here from Craig Mish today. I'm enjoying that, this. He's, that that actually right there is one of the most overlooked things. I think it is. I think that's the reason why people fail in fantasy and target those closers is, is that exact thing. People forget that, yes, uh, Brad Hand and Nick Anderson and Andrew Miller. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're transforming their careers. Hater, yeah. None of them grew up dreaming of being a setup guy. No, that's true. Nobody goes, man, I, all I want to do is pitch one inning. That's what I yeah. want to do. Hey, hey, Daddy, when I get older, I want to pitch the sixth. I want to like, be a left-handed specialist, Father. And, and that's why. Their, their skills, they only have two pitches, and that's what their skill right. set is. Now, uh, Crick is a multiple-pitch pitcher, so uh, this is this would be something new. But look, Brandon Workman was a starter. He became a reliever. It yeah. certainly could work. Look, um, I think it's going to be Crick, too. And and I saw Keone Kell on, on this list, and I immediately thought of you because we had had previous discussions going back in January. We were still doing radio like talking it. about some of those things. And you're like, I'm telling you, they're going to burn him and turn him. This is the guy. I'm telling you, he's going to get – and I actually thought – I was like, you know what? It's not a bad look. I think you're you're making a really good choice here. And I think Crick is obviously that guy. And whenever Kelly comes back – I don't necessarily know he is going to get that job back. So I would actually be aggressive on Kyle Kirk because if he starts the, you know, first couple of weeks as the closer saves a few games without any hoo-ha or any problems, then I would imagine that Keone Kella just, if, and when he comes back is just kind of relegated to another role in the bullpen. Cause as you said, it's not like he had us wealth of closer experience in the first place. Yeah. I, I think that in the one sense, I agree that if you're targeting the saves from the pirates, then he's the guy, but then you also have to think about it. And in the best case scenario, the pirates are winning 25 games. Yeah. But how many of them are they winning by more than three runs? Very few. Right. So what I'm saying is the, the save up. Look, I I think there's, I I don't, I don't know that, but, but, but I mean, you're chasing 25. Like if I said that, let, let's say Kyle Crick is the closer from start to finish Mm -hmm. at the end of the season. And I set his saves total at six and a half. Oh, over. Really? Well, I mean, just from the sheer math of it, Craig, I mean, if there's 25 wins for them and we're thinking that at least half of them are going to be three run differentials, then that's already 12 opportunities. Right. I mean, I mean that's that's not that's right. that's simple math. So, I mean, he's he's got to not blow too many likes. So let's say if he gets 10 saves blows, too. That seems pretty good. That seems decent enough. Crick but has 10, the but 10 saves. It would give him almost 40 over the course of the season. So that, that doesn't add up. Yeah. Either. But what? But why? I mean, Mark Melanson used to get up to above 30 when he was pitching on some bad pirate teams, too. So that's not impossible. Yeah, I'm just I saying, like, I don't think I, it's realistic. What, what I've done in, in going through and, and studying saves for the Black Book over the years is the best combination for saves, and this is the truth, is a mediocre offense, a really good starting pitching staff. Yeah, all that's that's fair. that's always what you're looking for. Unfortunately, this team has neither. Right, this team has neither. I I think I think over six. If you want to say under ten, that's fine. But look, let's split the difference here. Maybe he gives you eight. If he gives you eight I saves for fair. nothing yeah. off the waiver yeah. wire right now, you take it and run, baby. Yeah, that's fair. All right, uh, to Detroit we go. Daniel Norris, once upon a time, was the guy that we were all looking at as the uh, next good pitching prospect with the Tigers, sad. but that has really fallen apart. Uh, Norris last year, don't look at the wins and losses because Turnbull didn't win either, and a lot of people like him this year. But uh, Norris, 3-13, and 13, okay. Uh, 4.49 earned run average, and you're playing in a head-to-head league where you lose points for losses. You're not in on any Tiger anyway. Uh, but it looks like, at least from reading some of these tea leaves, that is it possible Matt Manning is the first one of this threesome of starting pitchers that Detroit has to get to the big leagues uh, simply because they could wait on Mize for 2021. Last year, Manning pitched, uh, t- he made 24 starts in AA. His ERA is 2.56. Something else that's kind of percolating around here is the young starting pitchers who you would never think would get a call up this year because of the clock starting. Some teams are actually considering calling them up for sure at the end of the year because they're going to face no live competition whatsoever. Right. So they want them to work. They want it may, and may be willing to take that risk. If it's worth, you know, a half a million or a million dollars, they got to do it to get them ready for 2021. Maybe Manning falls into that. Maybe Mize does. Maybe Scruble does also. Those are the three pitchers that they have that uh, I know that they're very high on. But, you know, we're just, you know, kind of, piecing things together here. And at the very least, I would not expect to see Manning right out of the gate. I would expect uh, Detroit to go four men deep if Norris isn't there. And then maybe the second time around. So 
maybe three starts, four starts for Manning this year? Well, look, I think Manning would be the guy right now over Mize because Mize also had a little health issue last year, too. So I think there's a little fear there about pushing him too soon. This is almost like a nice pass for him, for the Tigers altogether, where they can say, okay, you know what? You had kind of a year off here. Hopefully, physically, you're right. Go make some starts, whatever. And then next year, you kind of reset because there were some questions there towards the end of the year about how healthy was he. Uh, and I think Manning's that guy right now that I think is a little bit more of a, quote, sure thing to be successful in this scenario that's been out there. But if you're the Tigers and you do start his clock, there's a lot of thought process that people think even by midway next year, Torkelson might be a guy that you might even get a debut. So if that's the case, maybe if you're the Tigers, you look at this as an opportunity to get some experience for a guy like Manning. Maybe you are pushing forward with some of these prospects you have a little quicker because we're seeing them have success in the big leagues. And let's turn this bad boy over. Like, let's do it. Let's be aggressive. Let's let the kids play. Because if they're playing at a high level and they're having success in the minor leagues, at a certain point nowadays in Major League Baseball, like we talk about, these kids are more ready to produce at a younger age than they ever have been. It's been proven over the last decade or so, in the last five years especially, in the last two and a half years or three years, just in a crazy percentage. Like, the guys that have come up and hit and have been good and stuck has been mind-blowing compared to what it was, you know, even just five, sure. six years ago. So I would look at Manning as kind of that guy because I do think the Tigers are in a bad spot there because, you know, look, they do have a good-sized fan base, the Tigers. I mean, this is a place that people will show up, you know. The Tigers, you know, once upon a time were a very competitive team, not so much now, but I think they have the opportunity here to turn things over quickly, and Manning getting some stars wouldn't be the worst thing. All right, let's uh, close it out. we got a couple of minutes. We can spend it on Ryan Mountcastle, who— uh, is getting the call inevitably by the Orioles. He's going to join uh, the minor league side of things. He'll be on either a taxi squad or be available to the team. Um, I think 2021, this is a player that, that Joe will be really hot after because I think that he is going to start, and I think he'll start right out of the gate and play every single day. Uh, I, I thought it was a pretty weak indication with how the Orioles were going to treat him by not inviting him initially, and I can't get past that here. So I'm still kind of wondering if he's going to play at all. Uh, mm -hmm. This upcoming 60-game season, but in terms of what Baltimore has going for them, uh, you know, they're two years away from really starting to put a competitive product on the field, so there's no need to rush Mountcastle. They've just simply lost too much. It's a 60-game season. They don't have Mancini. I, I, I think, honestly, every Major League Baseball player that could play for them this year, they would trade if they could after 30 days. I mean, you, you take their two best offensive weapons off last year's team in Mancini and VR, I mean— I don't know. No, that's that's the problem. And and I was somebody that over 162, you know, going back to February, thought Mountcastle was a guy you could see some time, especially when you heard the news in March about Mancini. So I was picking him up in lots of sp spots and dropping and uh, actually uh, adding him in leagues late in drafts because I thought, okay, over 162, there's just going to be a need for this kid at some point. Now it's about well, 60 games. Here we just kind of get by. And it's sad to say that he, they can and they likely will. And it's frustrating because I'd like to see Mountcastle play a little bit, at least get his feet wet. And I think there's something to that. But from a financial standpoint, this is the economics of baseball. We are stuck in a position where there is no incentive for teams to be good right away. Again, <laughs> the incentive in the structure is set up for you to basically wait, wait for it, wait for it. And then when you think you've got enough chips, you push them into the middle and then you try to be good again. And that's where we're at. And it sucks for fan bases. It sucks for the Orioles. And it sucks for us as fantasy owners, too, because – Mountcastle, I think, has some talent, and I think he's a guy that, you know, whether he ends up as a DH or not, but, you know, they, he's one of this long line, too, of you had Christian Walker, then Trey Mancini, and now Mountcastle. They seem to breed these corner guys that might not necessarily be good glove guys, but can swing the bat a little bit, and uh, hopefully he'll, you know, kind of join them in having some success in the major leagues sooner than later, but I would not be really optimistic for seeing him in 2020. I wish we would, but I don't think we're going to. Yeah, 2021, we'll have Mountcastle, we'll have Adley Rutschman, Yusniel Diaz, the Orioles, uh, Grayson Rodriguez at pitcher. They're on their way. They're going to the have The pitching tied. is, yeah, they need more pitching, Craig. The pitching yeah, is thin. I mean, thin. Michael Elias is going to do a great job, I'm, I'm convinced. I hope but, so. All right, uh, coming up next, uh, NASCAR is on deck this weekend. Matt Sells has got a huge long shot for uh, the big race on Sunday. So we're going to give that to you next, a 71, a 70 to 1 shot. Uh, also, in case you missed Bob Harris on our show earlier this week, he will join us as well. Hour two of Fantasy Sports Today is next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
And welcome back to Fantasy Sports. Today we get closer to baseball, but first, of course, we check in on NASCAR. Two races Saturday and Sunday, a truck race, and of course the Xfinity Series. And to break it all down, NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells from Fantasy Alarm. You can follow him on Twitter at The Sellsman. Matt, thanks for coming on Fantasy Sports today. Good to see you this week. What's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, coming off a pretty big weekend there for Indy. It really boosted ratings. Uh, did did really well for the first ever IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader event. Uh, the Xfinity road course race was phenomenal to watch. So, yeah, it was a pretty good weekend. Now we're heading a bit further south here as we hit Kentucky uh, this weekend. So quite a lot of racing action happening this weekend at Kentucky. Yeah, and, and let me ask you a question before we get to the two races, and we're going to break them down from a wagering perspective for Saturday and Sunday. Uh, do you think that, look, the support that NASCAR has gotten has been tremendous. You mentioned the ratings are unbelievable there. Do you think that when baseball, basketball, and hockey start up, that NASCAR will have that same zest to be able to watch? Will people sort of respect the fact that they were able to get back out there, or do you think that the attention pivots a little bit? Uh, I think it certainly pivots a bit. I mean, I wouldn't put NASCAR in the echelon of the big four there's a reason they're called the big four um but i think that there's enough people that are turned off by what happened with baseball and the arguing and how they had to basically mandate a 60 game season that i think nascar's ratings will continue to stay pretty decent and they've got you know more double they just announced more doubleheader race weekends coming up here in august um so I don't think the ratings will continue to stay as high as they have been. I mean, Fox saw, I think it was an 8% boost for for Fox as part of the schedule compared to last year. Um, so I don't think it'll stay that high. But I, I do think that there will be quite a few viewers that continue to like what they see uh, on the track. All right. So we'll uh, get to that here. Let's start off, uh, Matt, with Saturday's race. And this is the truck series race. Buckle up your truck 225. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty good, good race name right off the bat there. <laughs> good 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 name for a race. Uh, okay, so let's take a look at the board and uh, and let's run through it here. Now, uh, for full transparency, Matt is the expert on truck racing, not me. This is one where we're gonna be leaning heavily on him. I've seen the NASCAR races on Sunday, but I haven't watched a lot of truck racing. Uh, Austin Hill has been the best, so he is the favorite at plus three forty. So for those of you who are newbies at wagering, it is $100 to win $340. Now, everything else is pretty much big money if you can have the, the guts to put it down. Brett Moffitt is 6-1. to one. Christian Eccles is 6-1. to one. Johnny Sauter, who I know, of course, from uh, NASCAR, is 9-1. to one. Ben Rhodes, 14-1. to one. Chandler Smith, 14-1. to one. And a rare appearance by the field on FanDuel. We got a field bet here at 14-1, to one, which tells me, Matt, I don't know if it tells you this, but if Austin Hill doesn't win... You got a pretty good shot with the field, I would think, at uh, at 14 to 1. Now, remember, we're not showing you everybody's odds here. There are a little bit longer shot odds here, 15 and 20 to 1. Uh, is Austin Hill the man to beat in Saturday's race? Let's talk about it, where it is, and uh, what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the odds pretty – I mean, in, in – let's put it this way. So I know there's, there's sports where you can take odds very seriously, and there are sports where it kind of gives you an idea of how people are – leaning but like they can also be quite confusing like you yourself talked about during the nfl season where some of those odds have just been traps because of how you see the game playing out sure. nascar odds they tend to tell you pretty clearly who they believe the favorite to be mm -hmm. um and if you look at the cup series races week after week which we'll touch on here in a little bit there's like the same four drivers that are always at the top of the odds, and it has to do with who the hottest drivers are coming into that race. So uh, I'm going to have to go with Austin Hill here. I would take – if I'm going to take – make two bets, I would go Austin Hill and I would go the field. I wouldn't go anybody in between because if you're going to get the field at 14-1, to 1, there's no point in betting a specific driver. Right, I agree. To yeah. one Because you just up your odds for hitting 14-1 to 1 if you take the field. So – uh, Austin Hill has been pretty dang good here uh, in the truck series. He's been pretty good, um, you know, this season in general in the trucks. And uh, if you haven't watched a truck race, they're actually really, really fun to watch because it's a completely different driving style than you'll see from Xfinity or Cup because, let's face it, they're driving modified pickup trucks 
at about 150 miles an hour. So uh, it's it's pretty interesting. There tends to be more bumping and banging with a truck than you'll see with a car. So uh, and Kentucky tends to lead itself to some pretty exciting truck racing uh, here in the past. They've been racing Kentucky in the truck series since the track opened, I believe, in 2001. Uh, the cups, the cup guys haven't gotten there. Um, they didn't start racing there until 2011. So the, uh, the truck teams are very used to racing at Kentucky, and it's pretty exciting racing. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a good point, too, is that truck racing is very different than, uh, than NASCAR racing. I've seen both in person. Uh, and, and the trucks tend to get a little uh, banging up there. And so uh, not really sure uh, who I would go with here, Matt, because as I said, full transparency, this is uh, not my forte. Uh, but we have you on every week, and certainly you won the Writer of the Year for a reason, uh, both for DFS and, uh, and betting. And so uh, Sunday, this is where I think a lot of people will be focused. And by the way, this could be, in reality, the final Sunday before – the other sports really get hot and heavy because we're two weeks away from both the NBA and Major League Baseball. So all the focus will be on Sunday at the Quaker State 400, the Xfinity Series. And uh, for the first time in a few weeks, Matt, we do have an overwhelming favorite here. Kevin Harvick, who's been about five or six to one, is all the way down now to 370. So this is 100 to win $370. Uh, Chase Elliott and Danny Hamlin, as you can see, there are both five and a half to one. Kyle Busch, seven to one. Brad Keselowski is 9 to 1. We have Joey Logano at 9 to 1 and Martin Truex Jr. at 9 to 1. The rest are a little bit longer odds, so we will get to that in a minute. Is it as simple as just putting the money on Harvick and being done with it uh, among these uh, the chalk here, among the leaders here, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ignore what Kevin Harvick has done since the season restarted uh, back in May at Darlington. Kevin Harvick's won four times. Now, in fairness, on Sunday, he was running second to Denny Hamlin by quite a margin with about eight laps to go. And then Denny Hamlin's right front tire blew out of nowhere and put him into the wall when that ended his day. And then Harvick won the restart and drove away from people. So is Harvick's car that fast? Yes. I mean, he's either won or finished second in like each of the last four races. Yeah. So there's a pretty big reason why he's clearly the favorite and almost twice as good of odds as the next closest guy, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. However, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a guy that we haven't really mentioned that much uh, this NASCAR season, and that would be Kyle Busch. Okay. Uh, he's going off at plus 700, which is uh, you know bet 100 to win 700 bucks. He is winless since he won Homestead last year, which was the last race of last season, and he hasn't really looked like a typical Kyle Busch looks. Um, but the stats are there for him in terms of green flag speed, which is a measure of average lap speed under green flag conditions. Kyle Busch ranks fourth all season long. He's the fourth. He's got basically the fourth fastest car on the track all season. He just can't get it to the front to show off that speed. Well, he's starting on the pole on Sunday, so he's going to be up front. It's a track he's done well at previously. He has a win here. Um, the pole sitter historically in the nine cup races they've run here, not a very big sample size, but in nine cup races, the pole sitters won three times starting on the front row gives you a 55% chance of winning the race here. So we're looking at Joey Logano for also starting on the front row. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would go with either Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch. Those would be my two bets for Sunday's race. We'll, we'll take the chalk cause the guy has been incredibly fast. The last four races. Um, and by the way, Kevin Harvick's done pretty well here as well. He's got six top 10 finishes in his career at this track. Uh, but then we'll also go with Kyle Busch because he's on the pole. He's been fast. Uh, he needs a win for sure. And uh, he's also won here. So, And he finished second in this race last year, just edged out by his brother, Kurt Busch. All right. So uh, now they're going to be in Kentucky this weekend. And so it's uh, the home of the Kentucky Derby. We need a long shot pick here, Matt. Uh, give me somebody with some uh, longer odds here of like 20, 30, 50 to 1 that if you're throwing a dart here this weekend, who you got? So we'll go with Tyler Reddick. Uh, he's going off right now at uh, about 70 to 1. And 
Redick has been a very good driver this year. It might surprise you to find out that he's a rookie in the Cup Series because usually rookies don't show up and do what Tyler Redick is doing. But Redick has been very good this year. He's been very exciting to watch. And typically speaking, he's a guy that likes the higher line on a racetrack. He'll run right up along the wall to go find speed. And we've seen another driver who likes that, Kyle Larson, have success here at Kentucky running very fast laps. Uh, a couple of years ago, Kyle Larson started 40th and finished second by doing that strategy. Tyler Reddick is starting 24th on Sunday. Uh, so I would go with Tyler Reddick to win his first career cup race at 70 to 1. I like those odds. All right. Uh, before we let you go, Matt, I know that uh, NASCAR announced uh, yesterday or the day before Watkins Glen uh, is out in August. Uh, so no NASCAR in New York this year. And uh, another race in Daytona, right? Here where I live in Florida, yeah. Matt, they're not shy about uh, about doing anything Yeah, here, they're so. actually going to race Daytona twice in three weeks. One of them is going to be the Daytona Road Course, which right. for anybody that follows like IMSA or the Rolex 24 of Daytona, that's what they use. Uh, yeah, the reasoning behind Watkins Glen real quick is that the governor wouldn't give a waiver to the quarantine rule that he has in place, which... Basically, New York has a list of 19 different states in which people that travel to New York from those states have to quarantine or isolate for 14 days before they can you know, go about their business. Clearly, if you know, and North Carolina is one of those states, so teams are going to send their entire race team up to New York and then have to sit there for two weeks and not come in contact with anybody and then run the race. And that doesn't do anybody any good for getting races to happen. So. Um, there will be a race up in New Hampshire, though, right next door to uh, New York. Um, but, yeah, they're going to Daytona twice in August, so that'll be interesting. All right, Matt. Uh, Matt Sells, you can follow him on Twitter, at the Sellsman, and follow all his work on the NASCAR end and the baseball end, too, over at Fantasy Alarm and FantasyAlarm.com. All right, that'll do it for this first hour. We'll take a quick break here on Fantasy Sports Today. we got plenty more to come including taking a look at a couple of win totals in Major League Baseball. We'll look at the Pirates and Padres here on the show. And then, uh, you know, some fantasy football talk as well. Uh, Gray Albright also joins us in the final segment. So uh, with that, we'll be right back with more fantasy sports today. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid Radio. Lots of big announcements, including the latest one yesterday. Uh, that really puts us, I think, in a great position uh, to be on all of your TV sets for those of you who have samsung's got our own app on there it's fantastic we just continue to grow here on sports grid and uh, after this quick time out we'll be back with more joe pizapia joins me so thanks again to matt for coming on the program we'll be right back in just two minutes don't go away SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 